we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, church. It is great to be here with you guys. Hey, if you're joining us online, you're at the bridge, wherever you are, if you're in the house, thank you for being here this morning. It's great to be here. One of my favorite things about worship, one of the reasons why I think it's so important is in, in the context that we, that we find ourselves in, for a group of people to come together and collectively say, hey, it's not about me, it's about somebody else. I think that's an important thing, and it's such a cool experience to be here with you in that way. So thank you for being here. And just to, just to give you a heads up, if you're a guy especially, because we tend to struggle with this, what's Monday? What? No. No. What is Monday? What is Monday? It's Valentine's Day. Yes. Um, For the last five weeks, Rick has done a great job at getting us set up for Valentine's Day. I mean, he set the ball on the tee for us. So if if you don't do well tomorrow, it's it's all on you. It's it's, it's your fault. We've done the best that we can. Uh, But today, today we're beginning a new journey. For three weeks, and it'll take us up to Ash Wednesday and Lent. But to begin our time today, I want to do something that I know is going to date me, but that's okay. That's okay. <clears throat> Whenever I think about the the Late Show, um, uh, I, I think it was on it's on Channel Five. The, the the host that I think about, the first one that comes to mind, is Johnny Carson. That's what I remember as a kid. So I know that dates me, but. Johnny Carson, he had this bit that he would do. It was the great and the magnificent Karnak. Does anybody remember that? He'd show up, he had the envelope, he'd ever overset. So that, that's how we're going to begin our journey today. <clears throat> List of three things, okay? Y'all ready? Number one, Star Wars, episode one, The Phantom Menace. Number two, Godfather, part three. And then, number three, the Dallas Cowboys from 1996 until now. Name three things that didn't live up to the hype. As a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan, it's a painful truth that I live in every year and every year. What do we say? Hey, this year it's going to be our, our year, and then by January we're already thinking about the draft. It's just kind of the world we live in. But all of those things, the, the movies and, and, the, and, the, and the football seasons, the fans, they, they watch from the stands, and they watch from the theaters, they watch at home with so much hope about what could be, and at the end of the movie, or at the end of the season, all of the fans, they let out, let out a collective Is this it? Right? Consider this. A man, he works hard. He goes to school. He he learns a skill. He gets a job, has a family, and then he starts saving away for his retirement, just looking forward to that one day when he can finally reap the benefits of this life of labor. And then on the second day of his retirement, 
as he sits down on the couch and he kicks his feet up and he takes a sip of coffee and he looks around and he says to himself, is this it? Or consider this, a young couple, they meet in college and they start dating and they graduate and they, and they plan a wedding. They plan a family, they plan a life, they have kids, and they start to work the plan. And then some years go by after they return from one of their various wedding anniversary getaways, they unpack the bags, and they sit down in the dining room table, and they look at each other, a look that says the same thing. Is this it? How often do we find ourselves uttering this phrase, is this it? How often, how often do we experience disappointment? A friend lets us down. Or how often do we experience discouragement? The, the plans that, that we made, they, 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 they didn't pan out or they, they didn't live up to the hype. Or disillusionment, this, this world that we were trying to create, it ends up looking very differently than what we thought it would. This is exactly where we find the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. See, here we find a prophet who serves God, serves God faithfully, courageously, goes to battle for God, goes up against insane odds. Not even that, he, he experiences victory in the battle. And after this mountaintop experience with God, victory over the enemy, he comes down from the mountain, and he says, is this it? What do you do? What do you do when, when the thing that you've worked for all your life, it turns out to be a disappointment? Or what, what do you do when, when the life that you put together, it looks completely different than the way you thought it would? What do you do when you get all that you ever wanted in life only to find out it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. What do you do? What do you do when you find yourself not on the mountain and not in the valley, but in that dreaded, ambiguous space in between? What do you do? Well, the first thing you should do, and the first thing we all should do, whether we're on the mountain or in the valley or in that space between, is we turn to God in prayer. So let's do that. Father God, we, we, we thank you for today, because today, today is a promise that is fulfilled, that we wake up and, and you find us, your grace and your mercy finds us, and we, we see the, the, the changing of the seasons, and it reminds us that you're continuing to create life. You're, you're continuing to create new life, not just in the world around us, but in the world within us. So Father, today, whatever season each one of us finds ourselves in, we know that you have a word for each one of us today, so Father, give us ears to hear what you have for us. In your son's name, amen. So if you haven't done so already, I would invite you, turn to 1 Kings 19. And this is what we're going to do. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at stories of, of doubt, disillusionment, discouragement, despair. In the Bible, where different characters of the Bible have experienced that. And today, as you do that, I want us to wrestle with this question. What do you do when life turns out not the way that you had planned? For Elijah, he's got a way of responding that's, that's maybe not the healthiest response. So if you're, 
If you're somebody that struggles with this, if you know this is a struggle for you, you need to know you're in good company. You're in company with one of the most respected biblical figures. He struggled with this. He did. But to understand where we are here in chapter 19, we're kind of jumping in on the middle of the story. And so in order to catch up to where we are, we gotta, we've got to quickly just jump through about two Two and a half chapters of, of Bible information. And so what do you do if, you're, if a show's coming out and you got to get to episode seven right away and you don't have time to watch all six episodes, you go to the, the homepage and you just read through the thumbnails. I did this a year ago and it works, so we're going to do it again. We're going to go through the Netflix show that I'm calling Elijah and we're going to walk through the thumbnails to get us caught up. This isn't really a show, just so you know, this is all made up. But here you go. Episode one in 1 Kings 16, Ahab becomes king of Israel. And scripture says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. One of the things that he did was he took for himself a wife, Jezebel, who was the daughter of a Sidonian king, a different religion than the Israelite tradition. And because of that, he turns the Israelite people away from God. Episode two, Elijah, the prophet, he comes out and he goes up to Ahab and he says, hey, you're, you're screwed up, Ahab. You're doing evil in the sight of God. God's sending a drought and a severe famine across the land. And then Elijah goes into hiding for three years. And here we are at episode three. While Elijah is in hiding, he finds an unlikely host, the widow of Zarephath. She takes him in. She feeds him. She gives him a place to sleep. While he's there, her son is thought to be dead. And so Elijah steps in and through the power of God brings the son back to life. Now, what's interesting about this episode is that the widow, she's also a Sidonian, just like Jezebel. But the grace of God enters her home. So the issue with Jezebel, it wasn't just a religious issue. It's it's a bit more complex than that. Episode four, Elijah comes out of hiding. He goes back up to Ahab and he confronts Ahab. He says, I'm calling all of the prophets to a battle, a battle of the prophets to see who the one true God is. And so the stage is set for that final dramatic scene, and that's what we get in episode 5, the final battle scene. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah by himself goes up against 850 prophets, and the winner is the one who can call down the fire from heaven to burn up the provided sacrifice. Now, as we know, Elijah's God is the one true God, and he's able to send down the fire, burns up the sacrifice. And right away, God sends down the rain, ending the three-year drought. All of the prophets of Baal are defeated and executed. And all of the Israelite people, they turn back to God. End of story, right? No, that's not where the story ends. You see, if this was a Netflix show, that's exactly where the story would end. We'd finish that episode We'd switch to another show. We'd start binging the next show and then get to that climactic scene and then go to the next show. That's what we would do. But that's not where the story ends. It keeps going, which, if you're a filmmaker, is a terrible idea. I mean, think about this. Think about your favorite romantic comedies. Imagine your favorite romantic comedy going for another hour after that final dramatic scene, after the the scene where the boy gets the girl and it's this big emotional high. Imagine another hour, and it's just an hour of, well, nothing really. How long are you going to keep watching? Not long, right? Why? Because we love the drama. 
We live for it. The highs, the lows, the suspense, all that stuff. Elijah, he would agree with you. You see, here he is after a three-year journey. He's got this dramatic mountaintop experience with God, defeating 850 prophets. He experiences victory. Now he's got to deal with, okay, so now what? This is where our journey with Elijah begins today. Chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that he had done, all that Elijah had done, and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them, one of the prophets that you killed, by this time tomorrow. Now, this is interesting because she sends a messenger to Elijah. She could have easily just sent the assassin, had him killed, and move on. But she doesn't do that. She sends a messenger. Now, all I can figure is that she was so angry that she wanted Elijah to suffer. She wanted him to know what was coming. And so he could just kind of antagonize over that and and get in his mind and, and suffer. But guess what? It works. How does he respond? In verse 3, it says, Then he was afraid. In your notes, what is our response to disappointment? Number one, we become afraid. This is our first response. Whether you admit it or not, we, we often won't admit that. We think that anger is our first response to disappointment. But what we got to understand is at the core of anger is fear. If anger is a fire, fear's the spark. That's what really sets us off. And so that's, that is our first response. When we, we experience victory, we work towards the goal, we're victorious, and then we realize that the victory, in fact, it, it turns out it doesn't taste so sweet. And the world we thought we were living in starts to make less sense. We lose whatever illusion of control we thought we had and we become afraid. As the world we're really living in, it starts to come into focus. I've read this story many times, and it never made sense to me how a simple threat from Jezebel would send Elijah over the edge, make him spiral this way. I mean, he he just killed 850 of her prophets. What did he think was going to happen? What did he expect her response was going to be? You see, I don't think it was her threat that sent him over the edge. I think it was his disillusionment. I think that's what did it for him. For three years... He's preparing for for this one moment, all this intense training to to go up in the mountain against all of these prophets, all the drama, the hiding, the back and forth, the drought, and in one fell swoop, it's over. I don't think Elijah was prepared to live in a world on the other side of that mountain. So this weekend, today, as a matter of fact, there's an important game today, right? Everybody know that? Yeah, it's the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. So we have the, the Rams versus the Bengals, Stafford against Burrow. I'm actually, I'm looking forward to the game. I kind of like both teams, so I'm looking forward to just watching a good game without being emotionally invested and just enjoy the game. But at the end of the game, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. And the media attention will most likely center on one of these two guys. Whoever wins the game, that's where the cameras are going to go on the field after, after the game. But what happens after that? What happens on the other side of that mountain? 
Any, any football fans in the house? Okay. Raise your hand if you remember the Miami Dolphins quarterback, Bob Greasy. Okay. They're giving away the answer way too soon upstairs. I'm sorry. Uh, how about Dan Marino? You remember Dan Marino? <laughs> Brian, I know that's you. Okay, Brian, well, tell me this. Do you know who this guy is? No, no, that's not Bob. Who was the quarterback after Bob Greasy, before Dan Marino? Who was he? Brian, you were my one hope. I thought you might know. Nope. David Woodley. Nobody remembers David. Even diehard Dolphins fans don't remember David Woodley. But here's the thing. His career started off great. In 1983, he took the Dolphins to a Super Bowl, and at the time, he was the youngest quarterback to start in a Super Bowl. So much hope, so much promise for the future of his career. And then it crashed down. And 20 years later, he became the youngest quarterback that ever started in a Super Bowl to die. He died of alcohol uh, poisoning. It, it, alcohol just wrecked his life. The liver and kidney uh, disease, it just it, it destroyed him. And after I'm, I was reading a lot of articles about him and what I found out from the people that were closest to him, what they said was, you know, he had spent so much time in his life building up to that one moment to get at the top of the, of the football mountain, the Super Bowl. He wasn't prepared to live in a world after football. He didn't have a plan. He didn't have a plan for what his life was going to be like after that. You see, Elijah, he spent three years of intense training climbing the Super Bowl of prophetic mountains to do battle with the prophets of Baal. He didn't have a plan for then what? And without a clear vision for what he was going, where he was going, he becomes afraid. Then what does he do? In verse 3, it says, and he arose and ran for his life. In your notes, how do we respond with disappointment, especially when we don't deal with our fear? Number two, we run away. We take a trip. We go on vacation. We do anything but talk about our fears. We do everything under the sun but address our fears. We run in the opposite direction. Or we, we run as quickly as we can to the next mountain that we can find to try to, try to stay in that same high because we don't want to deal with life once the euphoria wears off. I think this is why so many rock stars struggle with drug addiction. Because to, to be on stage in the middle of a rock show and put on a rock show, it's one of the coolest experiences in the world. It just is. But what happens to the rock stars when they get off the stage? And that natural high wears off. Many of them don't want to live in that world. They can't deal with that kind of world where the euphoria wears away. So they do whatever they can to try to recreate that same high. It happens in marriages. There's such a natural high in the beginning when you're dating, when you get engaged, right when you get married. How easy is it to do all the things that your spouse loves? Make the bed, the dishes, have the coffee ready, all the things. You do whatever you can. You go out of your way. You're creative about finding ways to serve your spouse. But what happens years down the road when that natural high wears off? It's not so easy anymore, is it? It isn't. What do, what do we do when... when Love is no longer a feeling. It becomes a choice. 
often what do we do? We run away. We run to the next relationship, whatever we can do to try to recreate that same relational high. Or maybe it's not another relationship. Maybe what we do, we, we, we run to the job. Or we run to the golf course. Or we run to the softball fields. We run anywhere to avoid that feeling at home. Or maybe we, we, we uh, hide it through addiction. I know people that, that do this with cars. I, I'll drive this car for a little while, and then I'll trade it in on, for another, and then another. I know people that go through cars like I go through toothbrushes, which is insane. It's not a good thing. It's not healthy. But the problem is this. We don't see it as running away. We interpret it as trying to fulfill a desire, to try to make a feeling last that was never intended to last. I think the, the song, uh, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, it's a song by U2. That's, that's what they were singing about. What a lot of people don't know is they, they actually wrote that song as a gospel song. At, at, at its heart, it's a gospel message. But it's a song about this idea, this strong conviction in, in who God is, this belief in, 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 in what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished for us, but this sense of restlessness within us, this restless discontent, this sense of, of wanting but not knowing what, of going but, but not really knowing where. You see, here's the thing. Life, life wasn't meant to be lived forever on the mountain or down in the valley. A lot of life is trying to figure out how do you navigate that space in between. And you can't solve the problem simply by running to the next mountain or the next valley because whichever one you choose, all of the junk that you're trying to run away from is coming with you. It just does. This is, this is what Elijah does. And look, look what happens next in verse 4. He says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. What happens when we don't deal with our disappointment? We don't deal with our fears, and we try to solve the problem by running away. Eventually, this, depression. In your notes, we become depressed. Here's a man that just a few days prior conquered an unthinkable feat. He climbed atop the Everest of prophets. But his disappointment about what was next, it led him to fear, to avoidance, and ultimately depression. So raise your hand if right now you're thinking to yourself, Chris, this is the most depressing message you've ever delivered. All of your hands should be raised because it is. I'm raising my hand. That's how I feel about it. But here's the good news, because there's always good news. And it's one of the things that I love about this passage. And that's this. Elijah, with all his running, his hiding, his isolation, guess what? He's not alone. God is with him in the valley, just like God was with him on the mountain. And here's how God responds in verse 5. It says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. You see, God loves Elijah. Just like God loves you, God loves me. And, and when we find ourselves at this level of, depre of depression, God provides a way for us to navigate through it. Not around it, but through it. 
And the first thing God does for Elijah, he, he does this, daily bread, daily bread. How does God help us out of the valley? In your notes, letter A, he helps us deal with just today. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. In, in, in Matthew 6, Jesus would say, hey, tomorrow can worry about itself. That's not where you are. That's not where Jesus meets you. He meets you in the present. And if, if you don't take care of today, if you don't take care of today's issues, today's problems, then when tomorrow comes, today's problems become tomorrow's problems. One of the things that I, I say to my son in the mornings before school, I tell him, I say, son, all you got to do is win today. That's it. If you win today, you take care of today, then when tomorrow comes, today's problems, they become yesterday's problems. And so God takes Elijah's mind off of two, three, four years down the road, and he highlights the present moment. One of the best ways to get out of the valley of depression is just, just be present in the moment, God gives him one simple task. Here's food and water. Just sit and eat. That's all you got to do. Just do that one thing. You see, when you're in that place, a lie that you tell yourself is the way that I'm feeling is always going to be this way. I'm always going to be in this place of despair. My marriage is never going to be any better than this. My job, my kids, my family, it's always going to be in this place of despair. But it's a lie. Feelings are temporary. They just are. And so God gets your mind off of the future and says, just be present in the moment. When you're in that place, when you're in that valley, you take a look around and you identify, what is the daily bread God is giving me right now? What is it? Because he's giving you something. Find what it is. Identify it. Name it. Write it down. And you lean into it. The next thing God does, verse 9, he calls out Elijah. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He speaks his name. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a subtle but, but an effective thing. When, when you're in conversation with somebody and they say your name, it gets your attention, doesn't it? Like, oh. And it takes your focus from that one feeling of depression, and it places you in the greater context of your life. In your notes, God helps us out of the valley this way. Letter B, he reminds us of who we are. My brothers would do this to me growing up when, when you know, I was a kid. My brothers are three years older than me. If they wanted to get my attention, they'd holler out my name. They'd say, Chris. If that didn't work, Christopher. If that didn't work, Christopher Michael. That worked. Every time, I knew I was in trouble. But they were doing that not just to get my attention, but to remind me who I was. And this is what God is doing. He says, remember who you are, but that's not the only thing God is doing here by saying his name. He's reminding Elijah whose he is. That name, Elijah, fun fact, in the Hebrew, you know what it means? It means this, the Lord is my God. And so every time... God speaks his name. It reminds Elijah not just who he is, but who his God is. God's saying to him, don't you remember who you are? Don't you remember what happened just a few days ago? Don't you remember that I was with you then and I'm here with you now? 
And in light of all of that, you're going to sit here wallowing in pity? Elijah, what are you doing here? Right away, in verse 10, Elijah goes into this well-rehearsed song and dance of pity, of woe is me, woe is me. There's nobody left. There's just me, and now they want to kill me. God, take me now. I'm ready. Just, just take me. In other words, he's in this valley, and he's just singing this depressing playlist. You ever do that? You get in that valley. You get in that pit, and, and there's this song that you sing in your mind over and over again about all the reasons why you're depressed, and all the reasons why you, you have every right to be depressed and to stay depressed, and you just sing that tune over and over. It doesn't matter what anybody says to you. Whatever they ask you, your first response is to sing that tune. This is what Elijah is doing, and he becomes this depression magnet. Here's another reason to be depressed. Here's another reason to be in despair. Here's another reason to be in agony. Here's another reason to be discouraged, and it's always going to be this way. It's never going to be any better than this. This is what he's doing. And I think, I think the response he was expecting from God was something like this. Hey, hey, Elijah, it's going to be okay, buddy. I I got you. I got you. It's going to be okay. Just come on. Let's let's go. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's it's, going to be okay. I think that's the response he was expecting, but that's not what God does. God doesn't enable his feeling of disappointment. He doesn't do that. In verse 15, this this is how... This is how God responds. After Elijah goes on his rant, God responds in this way. Go, return on your way. You see, sometimes God will get down with us and comfort us when that's what we need. And God did that for Elijah for a season. God stayed there with him, didn't have him do anything. He provided food and water for him every day. And so God was comforting him in that moment. But there came a point for Elijah when that was no longer what he needed. It's what he wanted, but it wasn't what he needed. And in that moment, God doesn't give him what he wants. He gives him what he needs. He says, Elijah, go return on your way. Get out of this valley. Go to that town. Find this guy and do this thing. One of the ways that God helps us out of the valley is this. Letter C, he tells us to keep moving forward. See, God reminds us that there's a world on the other side of our disappointment, a world that needs us in it, a world that needs us serving in it. You want to know how to deal with disappointment? You take a moment to acknowledge what it is. Ask yourself, why was it a disappointment? And then you ask yourself, what did I learn? And you get bonus points if you can identify something to be grateful for in that moment. Because one of the best teachers of gratitude are these seasons of depression. You learn a lot about yourself. And you ask yourself, what did I learn? And then you move forward. You don't get stuck in that one moment because the vision, the purpose, the mission of God, guess what? It's moving forward with or without you. And you keep going with him. And as you do this, you remember this feeling, this feeling of depression, discouragement, despair, all of these things, you remember that it's not permanent. Now, I want to point something out. I skimmed over it, but I think it's worth mentioning. Back in verse 9, the way that God speaks to Elijah, I think is worth, worth mentioning. So, in verse 9, 
God has Elijah go to a mountain. He says, go to the top of Mount, of Mount Hor. Now, what you need to know is it's also the same thing as Mount Sinai. Uh, it's a place where God had a similar conversation with Moses. And so there's kind of a pattern here with some of these biblical figures following God. Um, but he, he goes up to him, and then, so Elijah gets to the top of the mountain, and then there's, there's a mighty wind, but God's not in the wind. And then there's an earthquake, but God's not in the earthquake. And then there's a fire, but God's not in the fire. And then Scripture says, in the sound of silence, God speaks. And we hear this, we read this, and we're taught about the importance of creating silence so that we can hear the voice of God. Now, I'll tell you, I, I think that's a valuable lesson to learn. I don't want to discredit that, but that's not the lesson I get when I read this. I don't get that at all. And here's why. Sometimes God is in the, in the mighty wind. Sometimes God's in the fire. Sometimes God is in the earthquake. As a matter of fact, in chapter 18, God appears in the fire. God appears in the rain. God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush. Sometimes God is in those mighty acts of creation. And the second thing is this. Elijah... He doesn't create the silence. God does. And all that noise, the wind, the earthquake, the fire, I think it had a lot more to do with the noise and the chaos and the madness in his own mind. And in the middle of all of that chaos, God... Not Elijah. God creates the silence, and he speaks in it. You see, this is what God does for us when, when disappointment and discouragement, it, it drives us to depression, to chaos, to madness in our own minds. The silence of God, it cuts through the noise. It gives us what we need in that one moment, reminds us who we are, and tells us to keep moving forward. But here's the deal. He doesn't make us. You don't have to do that. If you want, you can stay in that same valley. God creates the silence, but when you're in that valley of depression and you're saying, woe is me, and God's creating silence, you can easily hit ignore, and you just crank the volume on that depression playlist, and you can just keep singing that same tune over and over and over again. You can do that if you want. But what does Elijah do? He changes the tune. He starts singing a different tune. He's not singing, woe is me, there's nobody left, it's just me, and now they want to kill me, God take me now. He's not singing that tune anymore. This is the song he's singing. He's singing this song. He said, I was up against 850 prophets, and God, you showed up. A woman threatened my life, and I had to go into hiding, and God, you were there, and you gave me daily bread. I was in isolation, and you spoke my name. I was void of purpose, of meaning, and you gave me a vision to keep moving forward. That's the song that Elijah's singing now. What song do you want to sing? Which tune do you want to sing? I want to take you back almost a year. I, I, I did a message back in, in June of last year about dealing with, with grief and with, with chaos. What I didn't know in that, in that moment was the season of my life that I was about to step into. So I want you to watch just a short clip of that.
In your notes, God promises this. God is with you no matter what. So the next time you see me and I'm troubled or I'm experiencing tragedy or my world is turned upside down and I don't know what's up and what's down and what's right or left and I can't make sense of anything. When you see me, avoid the urge to come up to me and say, hey, Chris, everything happens for a reason. Don't do that. This is what I need. I need you to come up to me and say, Chris, remember Isaiah 41. Remember the promise of God. God is with you. You are God's servant. God chose you. You are a friend of God. God is with you. He will help you. He will uphold you because that's the promise I need to hear. That's the promise I need to be reminded of. When everything else in my world is crumbling, I need to be be reminded that God is with me. It's not going to take away the pain, but it lets me know God's not finished with me yet. God's not finished with the situation yet. There's still a tomorrow. So I, I, I gave that message. What I didn't know was I was about to step into one of the difficult, most difficult seasons of my life. It seemed like everywhere I looked, there was a challenge in my family. I was having to look really hard to find health in my family, in my extended family. But there were, of all the issues, the most difficult one was with my dad. In August, he got COVID, and it it escalated, so he had to go to the hospital. And then on the morning of my birthday, I get a message saying that my dad was being intubated. Outlook, not good. But miraculously, he was able to get off the vent. But the challenge continued because his mind didn't recover. He couldn't do anything on his own. And so they had to put in a feeding tube. And then when they put in a feeding tube, guess what they found? Cancer. There were moments in that season where I felt like Elijah. I felt crying out, God, is this it? Is this the life you're calling me to? And if so, why? What's the point of all this? And I start singing that depressing playlist as I sink. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of that season, with all of the madness going on in my mind and my world, I go up to the hospital to see my dad, and I'm in the elevator. And that noise is is reaching a deafening level in my mind. And the doors open, and I walk out of the elevator, and as soon as I turn right, I see this. All that noise, the chaos in my mind. And in the sound of silence, God speaks. And he doesn't speak just any word. He speaks the very word that I said two months prior, I need it. Two months before that, I said, when my world is ripped upside down, I need somebody to come up to me and say, Chris, remember Isaiah 41.10. Remind me of that because that's what I need. And in that moment, in all the chaos, God speaks through the silence. Now, here's the thing, and I want you to understand this. It wasn't as though I read that and then it was like, okay, all better now, problem solved. Not that at all. My disappointment continued after that moment. My season of depression continued after that moment. All of the bad things, they were still there. We're still in the season with my dad. My dad's still battling cancer. We're still there. But what it did was this. It reminded me, Chris, that the feeling of disappointment, of depression, it's not permanent. 
There is life on the other side of this mountain that you're in. There's life on the other side of this valley that you're in. How you feel right now is not how you're always going to feel. Keep moving forward. What do you need to hear? Maybe somebody here, maybe there's a number of you, you find yourself in the same place, in the same headspace, that everywhere you look, there's a reason to be depressed. There's a reason to be in despair. There's a reason to be discouraged, to be disappointed. All of the bad things, there's a reason for it all. And that's, keep, that's rolling around in your head, bouncing around again and again. And every time that echo, it gets louder and louder and louder. And the sound of disappointment is reaching the deafening level. What you need to know is in, in the middle of all that chaos, God speaks.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, listen to the sound of silence. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.